If I haven't met you, my name is Jonathan Kinberg. I'm one of the resident clergy here. I think I preached last um, in August, and it's a joy to share from God's Word again today. Uh, we've been in this series on Advent hymns, and today we'll be looking at the canticle of the turning, but really as a way to look deeply at uh, Mary's song, the Magnificat, here in Luke 1. Uh, will you pray with me? Lord, we magnify your name today. We ask that uh, through the proclamation of your word, Lord, as we hear your word today, would your name be magnified and would, um, would you speak to us in a very clear way? Would you transform our hearts and the world through us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a couple of pictures on the slides there. Um, on October 29, 1998, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu uh, brought, and there was, a, there was a ceremony, he presented to President Mandela the full report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Now you can see there at the bottom of the previous picture, there was just several books, really, of years of work and testimony after the end of apartheid, this process of uh, bringing about reconciliation in South Africa. And if you go to the next picture, you can see as this is being presented, there's this choir that begins to sing, and all of a sudden, joy erupts in the room. Um, they start singing uh, Nikosi Sikelele Africa, uh, which is in the next slide. You can see some of the words. It says, Lord bless Africa. May your horn rise up high. Hear thou our prayers and bless us. And as the choir is singing, there, there's this moment of joy, both in front of really a global audience as this is being televised. Uh, both Mandela and Tutu begin dancing to this song. And uh, it's just this wonderful moment of joy. And this is one of the songs that was one of the uh, anti-apartheid freedom songs. And so in a sense, they're dancing not just because apartheid had ended, but they're also remembering the dances and the songs of their people over the years uh, in this fight to bring apartheid. And though, of course, the country wasn't fully reconciled, there was still to this day uh, many, many issues to be dealt with. There was this moment in this report, there was a symbol that was being presented of a radical turning or changing in their society. It was a sign of a turning tide. And these men who had suffered and waited for so long, um, being in prison and suffering death threats and many, many things, were in this moment singing and dancing. And there's this kind of joyful, prophetic uh, moment here where they're singing about the new, still in the face, though, of the old. In many ways, I think this is a picture of uh, what happens here in the Magnificat, in this song of Mary. There's this encounter between Elizabeth and Mary, and there's this eruption of joy, and there's this uh, song that bursts forth, and I can almost see them or picture them dancing together in some way, kind of like Mandela and Tutu. And in a similar way, both of them and the people of Israel had long been awaiting the coming Messiah. And this sign that Mary carries within her womb is this sign of a turning tide, a sign of the change of all things. Uh, and there is great joy um, at this sign. The, the song, um, the canticle, the turning, which we'll sing today, gets its words directly from the Magnificat. And so we'll be, we'll be looking at the Magnificat today, this song of Mary, this hymn par excellence of Advent. And kind of the title I've given uh, this sermon today is Singing in the Dark, the Magnificat and the Prophetic Task of the Church. 
We'll be looking at both the messenger, the message, and the method of the Magnificat. The messenger, the mes message, and the method. Kind of the who, the what, and the how of the Magnificat. And Mary really as a prophet and as a sign and model for the church in our own prophetic task. So let's look again the, at the who, the what, and the how. But before then, just looking at the context a little bit of this song, uh, I invite you to look at it if you have your bulletins or your Bible here in Luke 1, 46 through uh, 55. We have the words of Mary's song. Uh, but the context just before this is Mary's encounter with her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant, with, uh, who will be John the Baptist. And this song right here is one of four hymns around the birth narrative of Jesus in Luke 1 and 2. Uh, Luke is known as the gospel of women, the gospel of the poor. Um, both women and the poor are focused on throughout the gospel of Luke. Uh, and what's um, amazing or very interesting is the gospel of Luke begins with this song of Mary, Mary announcing the gospel through song. And the gospel of Luke ends also with women announcing, in that case, the gospel through the, about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We see women giving testimony or women as message bearers, as prophets, both at the beginning and at the end of the gospel. Um, and Mary's song here, which is the first uh, song in this section of four contrasts with the forced silence of Zechariah. If you remember the story of Zechariah, angel comes to Zechariah similar to Mary, but in contrast, because Zechariah does not believe, he is silenced. He, as there's a forced silence, there's a muting of his voice. And when we see then also, we might call the chosen silence of Joseph. We don't hear anything from Joseph's words, of Joseph's words in, in uh, in Luke, but we see here this focus in the beginning of the gospel on Mary's words. Someone who in those days uh, would not have been listened to probably. Think of, again, Mary is probably a young teenager at this point, pregnant out of wedlock. And we hear her words in this song. Uh, we see Mary as a singing and perhaps dancing prophet, um, proclaiming the good news about the Messiah in the line of other women who have gone before her, like Miriam in Exodus 15, uh, after the Israelites have gone through the Red Sea, God has delivered them from Egypt. She dances and sings a song in Exodus 15. We also sing the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2, a woman who had been barren and has given miraculously the gift of a son in 1 Samuel 2. Both those songs and hymns of both those women are echoed today in Mary's song. So that's a little bit of the context. Let's look a little bit more than at this messenger. Who is the person that is singing this song, and what does she say really about herself, particularly in verse uh, 48? Who is the messenger that brings this message or this song? Um, I grew up in, in Latin America in, in Chile in my elementary years, and as a boy in elementary school, I lived, and really all the boys in my class, or most of us, lived for this daily ritual at school. There was this hour of recess, and every single day, regardless of rain or shine, almost, mud or dry, we would play soccer. Every single day. And as a boy, you kind of live for these moments of glory. Um, but before you could actually play soccer, there was this also daily enacted ritual, which is the choosing of teams. Okay, There's, uh, There were always two captains, and there was this this really formative, I would say, there's a kind of a spiritual formation happening in a negative way in this ritual. Um, two captains choosing. There's, this, of course, this pecking order, especially for boys and, 
and, and around sports. And I was usually about fourth in the pecking order. If it was, it was a good day, maybe I got bumped up to third or wasn't the best, wasn't the worst, kind of just above maybe medium or the median um, number. But every single day, something else also happened. There was this kind of first, second, third, fourth, fifth. There's about, I don't know, 18, 19 boys in our class. Um, there was always at the end about two or three boys who were never chosen. It wasn't that they were just last. I mean, it was like they got through everyone else, and then they were kind of just sitting there, and neither team actually wanted them. Um, and it, there was honestly almost a daily kind of repetition of this. And eventually someone would be like, okay, I'll take so-and-so, and okay, you can take so-and-so. And then teams would form. I remember a couple times some of those guys just sort of wandering off, and they didn't end up even playing with us. And just think, what, what does it do to your soul to be unchosen over and over and over again? Um, I think there's a sense of being invisible, right? Or you don't matter. You have no purpose on the team in this case. Um, I think what we see here in Mary's song, and Mary as this woman who would have been uh, probably the last to be chosen in a similar way, we see first in verse 48 as she begins to sing, um, she says here in your bulletin, it says, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Um, the ESV says, looked upon, um, which is a similar dynamic that we see to uh, Hannah in 1 Samuel 1.20, when she has a son, miraculously names him Samuel. Samuel means heard by God. What is Mary seeing about in this song? She starts by seeing that I have been seen and heard. I, the usually unchosen one, have been chosen by God. And choosing, uh, not just chosen, but before even being chosen, she is seen and similar to Hannah, she has been heard no longer invisible. And then uh, we see this then second dynamic or related dynamic of being seen is that of being chosen. Verse 28, you are highly favored. And then the pre preceding verses, 39 through 45, which is uh, Mary's encounter with the angel and then Mary with Elizabeth, we see the words blessing or favor repeated about Mary six times. So this unchosen, unseen woman is seen, and then she is chosen. God decides to give her favor or blessing, and this is repeated over and over again. And it's a blessing not because of something she has in her, but because something that God has in him. God sees and chooses her in the same way God sees and chooses us for no reason other than his own character. But Mary, of course, does, in contrast to Zechariah, she gives her yes to God's yes to her. What does it feel like to be unchosen over and over and over again, rejected by society and the world? Mary, in this situation of probably deep shame as an unwed, pregnant teenage woman, what does it feel like then to be chosen for not just a soccer team, but for such an important task? What does it Look, what does it feel like to be seen in such an intimate way by God? We see in Luke and really throughout the scriptures and in the Advent narrative that God shows a particular favor, a particular scene. There's a particular blessing or choosing of the poor, the weak, of those who live in shame. Um, and God sees them, but then he chooses them, whether it's shepherds or women, um, the forgotten, or Israel herself, God chooses them to be his messengers, his representatives for special 
purposes, for his special purposes. It is significant that God chooses Mary as the first proclaimer of the gospel in Luke. Mary, the messenger, is an embodiment of the message. Throughout the Old Testament, prophets didn't just say things, but in their very being, they were symbolizing the message that they preached. And in the same way, Mary here as a prophet proclaims the gospel through her very body, through her womb, through the Messiah within her. As a weak woman in that society, her very being of being chosen by God proclaims the good news. Um, she carried the word, similar to Jeremiah, where he talks about having a fire in his belly. Mary has a fire in her belly, which is the very word of God, Jesus incarnate within her. Mary, as prophet, carries the word incarnate inside of her. Her smallness, her weakness, her shame, all serve to magnify and also to proclaim the message that she carries. So that's the messenger. Let's look at the message itself of Mary's song. What is this weak but seen and chosen woman proclaim through the song that she sings. Um, a couple, uh, maybe a couple months ago, um, I got a message on WhatsApp from a woman who had been attending our church for a while and hadn't seen her for, for then a season. Um, she gave me permission to share the story today. Her name is uh, Sister Florence uh, Azirim, and she was a member of our community for a while. She sat right up here, and I sat with her often on a Sunday. Um, then she moved, and I kind of hadn't heard from her for a while. Um, and then she had said that she had been battling cancer, so we were praying with her. But then I got uh, a message which accompanied a picture on WhatsApp. And she said, she said, good sir, I finished with chemotherapy and radiation therapy. I'm healed, and then in all caps, by his special grace. Um, and I'll post a photo confirming that. And what followed was a photo of her with this big smile on her face ringing this big bell. Any of you seen those bells before? Had a family member ring that bell? Um, this is a symbol of being done in, with your chemotherapy um, and being done, in this case, fully healed of cancer. Um, this week she told me as I was writing and asking if I could share this, she says, our God is still in the business, the habit of healing. And this is to encourage people that have lost hope. Um, Florence, through this picture and through kind of that ringing of the bell, is giving prophetic testimony of God's working in her life, of God's rescue from cancer. And she was worshiping through joy and gratitude. She just couldn't keep quiet. Mary is doing something similar here. I almost see Mary kind of just like ringing this bell of worship, this bell of testimony. She's calling attention to God's work in her and in and through Israel. And what we see in verses 49 through 52 of this song is Mary speaks of the actions of God on behalf of her and then on behalf of Israel. Really, Mary functions as a symbol or a sign of Israel and then in the same way as uh, for us as the church. What does she say? He has done great things. There's this ringing of the bell. God has done great things for me. And notice the verbs and the actions that God has done here in 49-52. He has scattered the proud, brought down rulers, lifted up the humble, filled the hungry, sent the rich away empty, helped Israel, remembered, and he has kept his promises. This is what God has done. This is what Mary is singing about. This is why she is magnifying or glorifying him. 
for God's actions, his strong right arm, which is similar again to uh, Miriam singing about God's rescue uh, of the people of Israel as they cross through the Red Sea. Here is God's rescue for us in Jesus, Emmanuel. But it's interesting, all those verbs, or did you notice, in past tense. She's speaking about things already accomplished, scattered, brought down, lifted up, filled, sent the rich away, empty. Interesting that she didn't say, he will or this will happen. In a sense, that is already reality through the coming of Jesus in her. As a prophet, she speaks of what is to come, but really what is already now in, and through faith um, and through the coming of Jesus uh, through the Advent. It is sure it is done because the Messiah has come and is even now in her womb. The battle has already been won, and her womb, her pregnant womb, is a sure sign of that. Um, Dr. Amy Wheeler says about this, uh, Mary's praise itself is grounded in the victory of God. In the song that uh, we'll be singing later today in the service, the canticle of the turning, or about that song, uh, Rory Cooney, who's the author, says, God takes action in the world on behalf of the powerless. You can see this quote on the front of your bulletins as well. Uh, Lifting up the lowly, filling the hungry, tearing the mighty from their thrones. Cosmic tables are being turned over as it were. The arrival of the Messiah in her womb is equated to the deliverance of the people of Israel from the armies of Egypt and through the Red Sea. There's this deliverance from the rulers, the proud, the rich. There's a scene in the choosing, choosing of the weak, the needy. It is a long-awaited Messiah that brings this rescue to Israel, um, this long-awaited Savior that has come. There's this rescue and there's this great reversal, this great turning. Not only is Mary chosen and seen, but also um, she is put first and is given this task and she has been rescued uh, to proclaim this message. And the result is great joy. There's worship and song. Just a side note that it's interesting that both material and spiritual rescue or freedom, or liberation are spoken about. There's this interweaving of the political, the spiritual, the economic. God's rescue touches on every area that darkness has been touched by sin, both personal and social, both individual and corporate. Um, The heart's oppression from pride and sin, and that of, in her case, oppressive powers of Rome. Um, So this is the messenger, the message, What is the method or the way that Mary as prophet delivers this message? Um, This will be verses uh, 46 through 47. How? What is the how of Mary's prophetic task and ours as well? Um, Don't know if any of you uh, listen to salsa or dance salsa, but I love salsa music. I won't dance for you today (laughs) during my sermon. I have done that before, but... um, there's this song that I love, and it's very well known, particularly in Latin America, that is called La Vida es un Carnaval by famous singer Celia Cruz. And the words of this song, it's a very joyful song that is actually talking, though, about sadness and difficulty and challenge. Uh, it says, Todo aquel que piensa que esto nunca va a cambiar. It says, uh, everyone who thinks this is never going to change needs to know it's not that way. And she says that to bad times, turn a good face, and everything changes. Um, Well, I think we need a little bit more than a good or positive outlook. But there's something about how song and dance uh, bring joy, even in the midst of great difficulty, right? 
um, how artistic expression lifts the heart to experience joy even in the midst of great darkness. We see this throughout the scriptures. We saw it, you know, as I shared at the beginning with uh, Tutu and um, Mandela as they sing and dance. Um, but in the same way, uh, there's this way that Mary is singing and dancing in the face of still real darkness and difficulty. Um, and this is what the prophets do. They sing in the night and they dance in the face of darkness. They pray and they praise. They stoke joy and imagination of a new reality and often do it how? Through artistic expression. The prophets are artists. We see throughout the Old Testament, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hannah and Miriam and others, uh, they convey through song, through their bodies, but through often symbolic actions, this new reality that is coming. Um, this is uh, a psalm, as in P-S-A-L-M, psalm-saturated song. Mary is saturated in the song, the, the songs of the people of Israel, and we see the same structure really in Mary's song itself. Not just the what is important, not just the who, but the how of her proclamation and the how of our proclamation as well as the people of God. She doesn't just give a bullet point list of truths that she's memorized about the Messiah. She sings of the coming of Messiah. She is here as prophet, also poet. Mary is an inspired artist like David, the psalmist. She sings her praise for God. She worships him for his rescue and for his favor. Mary worships. Um, Walter Brueggemann in his well-known book, The Prophetic Imagination, says, our culture is competent to implement almost anything and to imagine almost nothing. Uh, it is the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep on conjuring and proposing futures alternatives to the single one the king wants, a, wants to urge us as the only thinkable one. What is he saying? That part of the, the, the task of the prophets, the task really of us as the church, is to be artists, to help paint a picture of a different reality that is possible through the coming of the Messiah. That the way that we are living now isn't the only way to live. And Mary sings that even though Rome was still in charge, she sings of a day when that will no longer be the case, that no longer um, will we be oppressed by sin and oppressed by these powers outside of us. This is the task of the church. It's the task of uh, Mary and the task of the prophets is through beauty, through art, to awaken the heart to joy in God and to another reality that is possible. Mary sings a new reality about a new reality being born within her. Um, all of us are called to that same um, artistic task. Some of you might consider yourselves artists, and many may perhaps not, but all of us as, as the people of God are called to create, be co-creators with God of beauty, and to help um, sing and dance about a world that is to come. Um, so we saw Mary as prophet and as a messenger, a weak, someone who would be unchosen, uh, unseen by the world. She is chosen by God as messenger, and she sings through this song and, uh, in a sense, dance a message about God's rescue, the who, the what, and the how of Mary's prophetic task, and then, therefore, of ours. Just as I finish today, I want to bring a couple connections, hopefully, to our then task as the church and to our lives, first individually and then corporately. 
How can you say yes to God's yes in your life? How can you say yes to God, particularly like Mary, in places of shame, weakness, and vulnerability? How can you, in your life, embrace and pursue smallness and weakness? Part of the model or the, the, the example of Mary, she says yes to Jesus in and through her weakness, shame, and smallness. And God chooses her and chooses to make himself known to her in and through those places. You can't turn on God's blessing. God isn't this, um, you know, this automatic kind of genie type thing. But you can put yourself in a place to be blessed by God. Um, and that's by um, saying yes to him, particularly in those places of weakness, whether it's sickness or it's failure or it's shame or whatever it may be. What if that is the particular place where God wants to reveal himself to you? What if that is where God wants to um, bring his advent to you, his coming? What if that's actually also what God most wants to use for the sake of others? God doesn't choose the rich and the powerful in the same way that he chooses the small and the weak and the humble. There's this sense of God loves to make himself great, exalt himself in and through you, and particularly places of weakness. Um, how can you choose that which you haven't chosen? Um, and particularly for those of us who may be rich and powerful in different ways, whether economically, um, us as men, those of us who are men, or different ways that we have power or privilege in society. How can we choose to be close to those that are poor and weak and shamed? How can we choose to listen to voices we wouldn't normally hear? Why is it that the Gospel of Luke begins with the voice of this woman who perhaps wouldn't have been heard in society? How can we also choose to place ourselves in and to listen to those voices? that you are weak or forgotten or there's a place of deep darkness in your life, remember that you are seen, you are chosen, and you are rescued, and you can dance and sing in the dark. That's individually. And then finally, uh, communally, or us together as the church, there's this prophetic task which we are called. Prophets proclaim the good news about Jesus. We have to be a people that proclaims the coming of the Messiah. His name is Jesus. But we do this rooted in weakness, again. Prophetic witness is usually from below. Um, but it's rooted in prayer. Mary is praying here. She's singing her prayers like the Psalms. The right message, even the right action, isn't enough if it's not rooted in prayer and praise. To work on behalf of God in the world, to be his ambassadors of reconciliation in those broken jars of clay that Paul talks about, um, we must recognize that we are broken jars of clay. And through prayer, we recognize our dependence. That's God who brings and has actually already brought about change in the world. And so we are simply following in behind him. Um, prophetic task requires embodiment as well. The right message, the uh, right method isn't also enough. We have to in our very bodies and lives, be painting a picture, even especially of our life together, of the coming kingdom. It's not just about me and God. It's about us and the kingdom. And what, what does our life together, how does our life together as the church paint a picture of the coming 
kingdom. There's this way that we together, through, as a prophetic calling, have to help, and, and through art as well, sing songs and live lives that paint a picture that is different, that helps the world see a different world is possible. Just say to the artists, and really this is to all of us, we need you. Create, paint, sing. Help us to imagine a different world. I'll finish here with some of the words of the canticle of uh, turning, which we'll sing about later in the service. My soul cries out with a joyful shout that the God of my heart is great. And my spirit sings of the wondrous things that you bring to the ones who wait. You fixed your sight on your servant's plight, and my weakness you did not spurn. So from the east to the west shall my name be blessed, could the world be about to turn. My heart shall sing of the day you bring, let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears, for the dawn draws near, and the world is about to turn. Today we sing a song with all the single mothers, with immigrants and refugees, with the lonely, the forgotten, with the unchosen ones. And we declare God's choosing of them and of us all who say our yes to God's yes in this Advent. We sing and dance because of his rescue in and through Jesus, through whom the world not only is about to turn, but indeed has already turned. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would teach us how to sing songs uh, in the night. Uh, would you help us as Church of the Cross to be a people that ring that bell here in Austin and in our world of the great things that you have done? Will we be able to give testimony to one another uh, of your healing and of your rescue, uh, whether it's from cancer or from sin or from a difficult situation? Will we be able to invite you into those places in this Advent season? And would one day we be able to say, um, great things he has done. Uh, thank you, God. We love you and we worship you today. Amen.